Hello, listeners, and welcome to the first episode of the Brain Matters podcast. I'm your host, Anu Kumar, and my goal with this podcast is to spark your curiosity about the mysteries of the three to five pound mass inside your skull. This podcast will mostly stay focused in neuroscience topics, but we will still apply these topics over vast amount of other disciplines such as politics, finance, and physics, to just name a few. A little bit about myself, I'm currently a junior at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, studying neuroscience and minoring in psychology and music composition. I write a neuroscience-esque column in the Daily Beacon titled Brain Rules, which started in the spring of 2017, and it attempts to cover topics related to neuroscience in an easily digestible and interesting manner. So last semester, I covered a variety of topics ranging from what pushes us to tell lies and how different regions of the brain work together to construct an elaborate lie, to some heavier topics such as the differences in gray matter patterns in a person's brain who grew up in an abusive home versus someone who grew up in a relatively healthy home environment. With this podcast, I want to cover similar topics as the column does, but there will be some episodes where we will talk about something completely different than the prior week's column. We'll also have featured guests in future episodes, but since this is the first one, all you get is me. So without further ado, let's dive right into this episode's topics, which is about moving to a new place, house, town, school, whatever, and different ways you can adapt to a new environment. We'll go over what the cognitive effect of a temporary move is, how we cope by using familiar locations, and a little bit more about the neurobiology behind how we determine what is familiar and what is not. So it's late August, early September, every single calendar year, and so many people are up and leaving their homes to go to school, relocating for new jobs, or moving for a plethora of other reasons. Residential mobility isn't a newly studied topic, especially since the concept of moving frequently and or temporarily is almost normalized for a certain part of your life. What I mean by that is, culturally, we think it's more normal if a 20-year-old moves three times in the last two years versus if a 45-year-old moves three times in the last two years. We associate the moves as a physical but also symbolic form of change, like moving to a new town for college and living in a different apartment complex each year that you attend school. That's considered normal for us. A professor of psychology at the University of Virginia, Shigeru Oshii, conducted an experiment where they had participants imagine, just imagine, what it would be like to have a nomadic sort of lifestyle, and many of the descriptors involved words that were related to anxiety or feeling lonely. Piggybacking off of that, he noticed that people with actually living a nomadic lifestyle uh, experienced really intense feelings of anxiety and loneliness, and those people showed what he called the familiarity-liking effect. The familiarity-liking effect is essentially when someone prefers an object or a place that gives a sense of familiarity versus being very unfamiliar because of their newfound anxiety after moving. As the inquisitive mind noted in their article, Always on the Move, How Residential Mobility Impacts Our Well-Being, we're drawn to what is familiar to us, but why? From an evolutionary standpoint, if we have been to a place that is safe from the outside threats of the world and we've made a home there, we're going to feel comfortable if we visit a brand new place that has the same features as our home. This principle alone has ensured our survivability as a species. Now, whether or not being, uh, whether or not big name chains consciously take advantage of the familiarity liking effect is not something I can answer. However, it is a nice conspiracy theory to think about. Think about some fast food chains or retail chains and what comes to mind immediately. Maybe something like McDonald's, Taco Bell, Home Depot, Walmart, and so on. 
So it's actually very common for individuals who have moved to a new area to spend a little bit more time in these sort of familiar locations. Your hometown's Walmart might be set up differently than the Walmart at the University Commons, for example. But you know that there's a produce section, you know that there's a home goods sections, and that registers are typically at the front or at one side of the store. And so you have these familiar guidelines to connect to your past experiences. It almost sounds degrading to call it a miniature coping mechanism, but that's essentially what your brain is doing. Being in new situations puts stress on the brain. It takes in information and is constantly assessing its surroundings because that's the way we've evolved to function. Having these little pockets of familiarity is almost soothing to us at a very minuscule level. So how does our brain determine if something is familiar to us? How can I remember the back roads to get to my childhood home, but I'm unable to navigate the halls of my elementary school if I were to visit again? Most of that deals with the amount of time we've had the information locked away in our brains, how often we access it, and how many senses or personal meanings we've attached to it. It's almost similar to studying in a, in a sense. If you have a list of words and you only look at them once, then you might not be able to recite them at all on a test two days later. But if you read a really good story that has those list of words as key objects in the story, you have a much better chance of remembering it even though you only read the story once. From the biological level, there's not a ton of information out there of how we recognize objects from vision alone. There was a paper released this past summer on Eureka Alert called How the Brain Recognizes What the Eye Sees. And if you have time and interest, I recommend you read the entire public release. But for those of you who have neither time or interest, here is the essential breakdown. Some research at Salk Institute discovered a little more about how neurons work in an area of the brain called V2 in terms of processing visual information from the eyes. Lots of computational and statistical procedures at work in terms of how they recognize the pathways and the systems, but we're not going to focus on that here. So what they found out was that uh, neurons in the V2 region have three ways of processing visual information. The first way is combining the edges of an object that have similar orientations, or rather their physical positions in space. So when this happens, we're able to see the overall shape of an object if it's got hard edges or soft curves. The second way is that if a certain edge stimulates a neuron, then the position from that edge, 90 degrees, will be suppressed. So this also helps in shape recognition. The third is recognizing textured surfaces and boundaries between those surfaces. So this is determined by recognizing patterns in relationship to an object in space. So as an example, if you're looking at a sidewalk beside a busy street, this third way of identifying object is how you're able to see the texture boundary between the sidewalk and the actual street. And the same principle applies to if you're looking at a lake that is surrounded by a bunch of trees, this is how you're able to distinguish the texture from the water to the texture of the branches and the trunk of the tree. So they named this three-point list as the quadratic convolutional model, which is probably going to be studied more frequently in the future. It is definitely something I'll be keeping up with my own time because I completely geek out about these sort of things, but there's not a lot of information currently about this model. So just a quick recap of the points. Moving sucks, and we all like things that feel familiar. Familiarity comes in all shapes and sizes, including Walmarts. Recognition is strongly tied to memory, and how much importance and multi-sensory systems you assign to a memory strongly determines if we're able to recognize something quickly. And the V2 region is a newly studied region of the brain, and there are three ways that it breaks down our visual stimuli for us to make sense of the world. 
So thank you again for tuning into this episode of Brain Matters. If you haven't, check out the Brain Rules column printed bi-weekly this fall semester in the Daily Beacon. Again, my name is Anu Kumar, and I hope you learned something new today.